Well, good morning. It's good to be here uh, with you today. Uh, I, uh, my name is Tim, one of the pastors here on staff. Uh, my wife, Chloe, and I have a daughter. Her name is Everly, and she's two years old. And uh, we, uh, I, I was reflecting on this the other day. So she's two years old, but I, I remember that moment that she was born. And then I, I remember the, the couple days we were in the hospital. I don't remember much after that. Um, the next few months are kind of a blur. But I do really remember this time in the hospital, this, this moment where she was born. And uh, if, if you are a parent, maybe you can remember this the first time that, that you became a parent um, or, or maybe any future parents that are listening, you, this can be a, a little bit of a warning to you of what you can have to expect. But um, there's, uh, there's kind of a, a joy and beauty in that first two days in the hospital because uh, you, you have this amazing community around you. All right, you, have, you have doctors at your beckoning call who are, who are knowledgeable, who can answer any questions that you have. Uh, you have nurses who are there ready to help take care of uh, the baby, check, check on the vitals, make sure everything is functioning properly, helping uh, the new mom as she recovers. And you got friends and family close by, right, who are there to help. You know, you get, you get food brought to you. Um, you, uh, you, you have uh, everything you need. Even, even if you need sleep, you can um, ask them to, to watch over uh, your, your, your child in the nursery so you can get some rest. Um, and it's this great little fantasy world until, in, until, until the nurse says on the last day and comes and says, you know what, uh, we've left having you here, but it's time to go. And as a new parent, that's like so terrifying, okay? Because it's this moment that you knew was coming, but it's finally here and you're about to be on your own with this life that you're responsible for. Uh, I, I remember very clearly, you know, I remember buckling Everly into her car seat for the first time. And uh, we called probably three or four nurses as they came by the door. We stopped and said, like, is this right? You know, we just weren't sure. Um, and then we put her in the car and we were driving home. And uh, I, I probably only drove 20 miles an hour all the way home just because I was so nervous. And even that was a little too fast for Chloe. Um, <laughs> And then, and then that first night, you know, we're in our own home and that first night where uh, we just didn't really sleep at all. And not necessarily because Everly was waking up, but because every like 30 or 40 seconds, we would lean over her crib just to make sure she was still breathing. You know, just because we are so nervous. This was our first time being alone on our own. We knew this was coming, yet when the moment actually came, uh, we felt very ill-equipped. We felt very terrified. And so this passage that, that we read that we're going to be looking at today in John 14, uh, it's a passage where uh, Jesus is trying to prepare his disciples for this uh, type of moment, something similar to this. See, uh, see, Jesus had been with them. They had been with Jesus for three years. Uh, they'd been with him almost every single day along with him in his ministry. They'd seen him do amazing things and they had him right by uh, their side the whole time. You know, imagine what that would be like for you if you were one of Jesus' disciples and you got to walk with Jesus. You got to have Jesus right there with you in, in the flesh. Imagine what kind of comfort would come from that, you know, knowing that uh, a storm may come, but Jesus could quell it with a word. Or just the comfort that would come knowing that uh, if you had questions or grievances, you could take them to Jesus and he would have the answers. He would be able to comfort you. This is what the disciples experienced for three years. But as Jesus is, is telling his disciples and what he's preparing them for, this moment will not last much longer. In John 13, 33, a few verses before our passage today, Jesus tells his disciples, I will be with you only a little longer. And where I am going, you cannot come. 
See, Jesus knew that his work on earth was, uh, was nearly done, that um, he would ascend back into heaven and that his disciples would be alone on the earth. Uh, but the joy and the promise and what we're going to find today is that the disciples weren't going to have to be alone. That something even greater than the, the physical presence of Jesus was coming to them and was going to be with them forever. Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to look at what this means as we are in this series on the Holy Spirit We're going to look at what it means that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to be our helper through God the Father and what that practically means for us. So uh, as we dig into his word, would you just uh, bow with me and let's ask the Lord to illuminate our hearts through the Spirit. Holy Spirit, uh, we come before you and we, we just ask that you would pour out upon us wisdom and understanding that being taught by you through the Holy Scriptures, our, our hearts and our minds might be open to receive all that leads to life into holiness, into godliness. We pray all this through Jesus Christ and his mighty name. Amen. Well, we're in this series uh, called Numa, and we're talking about the Holy Spirit. We learned a lot about just who he was in the Old Testament last week, and uh, this week we're going to be looking at who he is as our helper and what that means. So we're going to use John 14, and we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at who the Holy Spirit is, according to this passage. We're going to look at what he does, and then we're going to look at how he does it. So if you'll you'll look with me, hopefully you have your Bible out. If not, you can pull pull your phone out, go there. Uh, John uh, chapter 14, starting in verse 17. uh, Who is the Holy Spirit? Well, we find out very first that the Holy Spirit is a person. So the Holy Spirit, he's not a a concept or a magical power. Uh, He's not like the force in Star Wars that is this energy in the world that we just need to harness. Uh, No, the the Holy Spirit is a person. He's as real as Jesus and God the Father. Uh, In verse 17, Jesus refers to the Spirit as he four different times. You You can take a look at this with me. It says that the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, Uh, Because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So the Holy Spirit, and this teaches us, is a person, a teaching, speaking, interceding, grieving person, and distinct from the Father and the Son. Which then leads us to uh, number two. What we find out here is that the Holy Spirit is God. Uh, It says that he is a member of the Trinity, part of the Godhead. If you look at verse 26, we see the Trinity in action together. This is is exciting to see. You can uh, go there with me. I'll put up this verse so you can highlight it. But it says that the helper, the Holy Spirit, so there's the first member of the Trinity, whom the Father, there's the second, will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I, this is Jesus talking, so there's Jesus, I have said to you. Now, when it, when it comes to the Trinity, um, I, I am just the worship pastor here at this church. I don't claim to know all there is to know about the Trinity. Uh, that's why you got Pastor Chris, very smart guy. You can ask him all your Trinity questions. Uh, but what, what we do know about the Trinity is that the Trinity is one God in three persons. I think this picture is kind of a helpful illustration of understanding who the Trinity is. See, the, the Trinity is not one God who takes on three different forms, 
Uh, that's something called modalism. So it's, it's not like God is water and sometimes he's ice, but sometimes he's snow and sometimes he's liquid. Uh, no, it's, that's not who the Trinity is. Uh, the Trinity is also not three gods and three persons. So it's not three mini gods who uh, all came together to form like the God version of the Avengers or something like that. Um, no, the, the Trinity is one God and three persons, each of them distinct each of them with their own characteristics, each of them uh, working together in all in perfect harmony. And so, because the, the Holy Spirit is God and a member of the Trinity, when he comes and dwells within us, we receive the Father and the Son as well. We receive access to the Father and the Son. Look at what verse 23 says. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says that anybody who loves me will obey my teaching, and my Father will love them, and then we will come and make our home with them. Who is the we there? Well, it's Jesus. He's talking about it. And, and, and he says that my father will love them and we. So it's Jesus and the father. When we receive the Holy Spirit, and since the Holy Spirit is God, he is part of the Trinity, he's part of the Godhead, we also receive Jesus and the father as well. And then the third thing that we see this leads us in is that the Holy Spirit is with us and in us. Verse 17 says that the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, uh, says that you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. See, the, the world doesn't see the Holy Spirit, uh, but we will because he will come and live within us. So this is where this, the spirit is located. Uh, and the good news about this is that uh, Jesus promised that the spirit would be with us forever. So the, the spirit is not something that comes and goes, something that we feel for a moment and then he leaves us. It's not that we can push the spirit away or coax him back. No, the, as Christians, the, the joy of the promise of the Holy Spirit is that uh, when we become Christians, the spirit dwells with us and he's in us and with us forever. This is who the Holy Spirit is. And uh, you may be thinking to yourself, oh, that's, that's great, but you know, what does this practically mean? What, is this, uh, what does the Spirit actually do for us? And so I'm glad, I'm glad that you asked that question because uh, we're gonna look, okay, at who this, uh, what the Spirit does do. And we're gonna look at what it means that the Spirit is our helper. See, when I think of helper, I think of uh, all, these, all these old stories. I don't know if, uh, if you've ever noticed this, but a lot of times in, in storytelling, when the, uh, the cast or the characters are getting ready to go on their adventure, they always receive these special gifts to help them on their mission. Uh, so a few examples. If you're a Lord of the Rings fan, uh, you know, uh, the, the fellowship, before they go to destroy the ring in Morador, they stop in the elf forest. I know, stay with me. And they stop in the elf forest, and, uh, and one of the elves, Galadriel, she gives them each special gifts. So Legolas, uh, he gets a bow and arrow that shoots farther and straighter. Uh, Gimli, the little guy with the axe, he gets three strands of her hair. I don't understand why that's a gift. But, uh, and then Frodo, he gets a, a, a like magic crystal that's like a flashlight and he scares away a spider at the end with it. Um, this is a spoiler alert. Um, but they all, all, all receive these gifts that are gonna help them on their quest. 
Uh, so that happens in Lord of the Rings. Maybe you're more of like an action uh, movie kind of person. So uh, if you've seen James Bond, any of the James Bond movies, you know that early on in the story of James Bond, he stops at the, you know, goes down to the lower level of the building. And there's this guy named Q that will come and, uh, and he shows him all these gadgets that he's made for his mission. You know, uh, a watch that shoots a laser or an Austin Martin that flies in the air. Uh, all these things will help him take down the bad guy. Uh, more, or if you're a Disney fan, uh, who could forget the great Edna Mode uh, from the Incredible movies? Okay, she makes them all special outfits, you know, that uh, highlight their powers. And so we see this all, all over the place. And, and similarly, what Jesus is doing as he is preparing to leave, he is uh, going to give them something to help them on their quest. See, Jesus knew that uh, his work on the earth would be done, but that uh, the, the Lord's work, the kingdom of the Lord, wouldn't fully be at hand and that the disciples would play a major role in carrying that on. And so he uh, gives them something, a helper in this mission, and that is the Holy Spirit. See, in, in verse 16, Jesus tells the disciples, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. We also see the word helper in verse 26 as well. Now, depending on what translation, uh, translation of the Bible you have, you might have a different word for helper. Uh, the ESV uses the word helper, but the KJV translates it as comforter. And the NIV translates this word as advocate. And this is an important word. This is describing who uh, the Holy Spirit is, who a member of the Godhead is. And a lot of times when we see multiple translations of the same word, it's because uh, we don't have an English word that can really encapsulate all that Jesus was trying to communicate. Okay, so in the original text, in the Greek, uh, Jesus uses the word parakleo. And what it does is it, it really encompasses all three of these things, that the Holy Spirit will be our helper, that he will be our comforter, and he will be our advocate. And so that's why we see it translated in different ways. So as we seek to understand the, the Holy Spirit is our helper, we're going to look at these other things as well, how he comforts us and how he is our advocate. So first, uh, who is the, well, the Holy Spirit? We've, we've covered that. What does the Holy Spirit do? Well, he comforts us. How does he comfort us? He comforts us by bringing an assurance of our salvation. Look at verse 17 with me. Jesus tells the disciples, the world cannot receive the Holy Spirit because it neither sees him or knows him. So, so right away, we learn that Jesus is telling us that the world uh, does not know the Holy Spirit. It does not sense him. It does not see him. It does not feel him. But then he goes on to say, you, so he's speaking to the disciples. He says, you, and it's the same thing for you and me as uh, believers in Christ. You will know him, the Holy Spirit, for he will dwell with you and will be with you. So uh, what Jesus is saying here, it seems so simple, but what he's saying is that uh, if you have the spirit within you, you are a Christian. This is an assurance of your salvation. Otherwise, you wouldn't have the spirit. It says in Ephesians 1.13 that we are sealed with the Spirit. Galatians 4 uses the language by saying, uh, because you are sons and daughters of God, he, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts. So we, we can have assurance of our faith. Uh, we can have hope if we've ever felt this, the Spirit's leading in our life. If you've ever uh, felt him prompting you in any way, encouraging you in any way, convicting you in any way, that is a, a sign that the Holy Spirit is at work within you, which therefore means you are a child of God. So you can stand firm in the assurance of your faith. You can stand uh, bold knowing that you are a child of God because the Spirit is at work within you. 
Second, it says that uh, the Spirit is our advocate. You can look at uh, verse 18 with me. Jesus is talking to the disciples, and he says, I will not leave you alone as orphans, but I will come to you. How does he come to us? Through the, ho- through the Holy Spirit. See, without the, the Holy Spirit, we would be spiritual orphans on this earth. Uh, one of the authors, I love uh, reading his stuff. His name is Sam Albury. He notes of this verse. He says that um, what, the, what the disciples were experiencing, this wasn't the sadness of just saying goodbye to a colleague. He said it's more akin to losing a parent. That the, the level of abandonment that they feared and felt, the depth of the separation that was beginning to engulf them was that the, the same as losing a parent. Uh, so no wonder their hearts were troubled and dismayed. Brothers and sisters, when we are tempted to lose heart, to dismay, uh, one of the, the things that the Spirit does as our advocate is that he testifies on our behalf, reminding us that we are not orphans, but that we are children of God. I want to I wanna show you an example of this. So turn with me to Romans real quick. We're going to be in Romans 8 for just a second. Romans 8, starting in uh, verse 15 and 16. You can read along with me it, The author Paul says, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So what Paul is doing in this passage in Romans 8 is he is creating this this courtroom scene. And the spirit is is our witness, okay? So he's creating this scene uh, he's saying that you, you are tempted to fall back into slavery, uh, back into the, the, the slavery of sin, and uh, you're tempted to fall back into fear. So we're on trial. We've put ourselves on trial. And then where is this trial taking place? Where is this imaginary courtroom? Well, it's in, it's in our souls. It's in our spirit. Verse 16 says that the spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. It's with our spirit that he is doing this. And so we, uh, oftentimes, I, I feel this, I uh, start to condemn myself, as 1 John three twenty says. Um, I start to condemn uh, myself in my heart, start to think, you know, I'm, I'm not good enough. You know, I, uh, I, I have so many reasons to be ashamed and to feel guilty, so many reasons to uh, fear and be, be gripped by anxiety. And one of the things that the Spirit does as our advocate is that he comes in as, as the star witness and with his perfect testimony, he advocates on our behalf and he says, no, stop it. No, you are, you are a child of God. You are loved. You are a son and daughter of the Most High God. So when Satan tempts us to forget who we are, we have an advocate in the Holy Spirit who brings us back and reminds us of our identity in Christ, that we are not orphans, but we are sons and daughters of God. Third, the the final thing I think that we can see in this verse in John 14. You can turn back to John 14 with me in in verse 26. We see Jesus uh, describe the Holy Spirit as a helper. And this is how how he describes it. He says, uh, but the Holy Spirit, uh, the helper whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. So as the helper... One of the, the roles that the Holy Spirit plays is that he teaches and illuminates the things of Christ and he reminds us of Jesus and the gospel. A couple chapters later, Jesus uh, will tell his disciples in John 16 that when the Spirit comes, he will guide them in all truth because he will not speak of his own authority, but he will take what is mine, 
He will take what is Jesus's and declare it to you, declare it to them. You know, this is one of the reasons why uh, the disciples, I, I don't know if you ever noticed it, but like in the Gospels, when you read the Gospels, it never seems like the disciples ever really get it, right? Like Jesus's teachings, they always kind of miss the mark a little bit. And then all of a sudden, when Jesus ascends back into heaven, uh, they're, they're the heroes of the faith. They lead the charge in the church. Uh, and one of the ways that this uh, shift happened was through the work of the Holy Spirit. Because what the Spirit did is he... What, what he does for us and what he did for them is he, he takes Jesus's teachings and he teaches it back to us and he helps us understand them. And then he reminds us of the gospel. He reminds us of what Christ has done. One of the ways that just practically he does that for you and me is through his word. Uh, in Ephesians six seventeen, uh, the spirit, uh, it's, it says of the spirit that uh, the sword of the spirit, so what he uses as the weapon is the word of God. That's how it describes the word of God. It's the sword of the spirit. So when we uh, use the spirit, when we entrench ourselves in God's word, the spirit works through that to convict us, to bring things to light, to uh, uh, admonish us and encourage us. That's through the spirit's sword. See, it's the spirit's job to help teach us and to remind us of the gospel, to help us see Jesus. Well, we'll finally, and, and we'll, Start to lay in the plane a little bit here, uh, but how does the Spirit do this? Just practically, how does the Spirit uh, do all of these things in our life? Well, there's a really key part of this all that I, I really want to show you. And so if you go back to verse 16, one more time with me, you'll see this. Jesus is talking and he says to his disciples, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper who will be with you forever. And I don't know if you noticed this the first time we read it, but this word, another, just sticks out and it screams, what is Jesus, why is he calling the Holy Spirit another helper? What could that possibly mean? And so uh, what, what he's saying is that if there is another helper, then there was a first helper. Who was that first helper? Well, it was Jesus. So the Holy Spirit, in a sense, then, is another kind of Jesus, He's another kind of what Jesus has been to his disciples. The Holy Spirit is coming in a way to take the place of Jesus, to succeed him. See, Paul refers to the Holy Spirit in Romans 8 as the Spirit of Christ. So when Jesus promises in verse 18 uh, to, to the disciples and to us, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. He's coming to us through the Spirit. And in verse 21, he says, anyone who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him through the spirit. If anyone loves me, he keeps my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. How do we receive God and Jesus? It's through the spirit. See, the Holy Spirit, how does he accomplish his ministry in our life? It's by pointing us back to Christ. When the disciples received the Holy Spirit, they received Jesus because the Spirit's job was to bring all things to remembrance and remind them of all things that Jesus said to them. Because you and I have the Spirit dwelling within us, we also have Christ with us. Because Jesus said of the Holy Spirit that uh, he would magnify Jesus. That's what the Spirit does. And the Spirit will take what Jesus said and declare it to us. That's, that's what Jesus says the Spirit will do. So the Spirit's main role in our, our life is to take our eyes off of ourself, to take our eyes off of the things of this world, and to point them, to redirect them to Jesus Christ. 
Uh, I, I wanted to share this quote with you. It's, it's kind of a long quote, so buckle up, but it's so good, okay? So don't lose it. Uh, but Charles Spurgeon, he said this of the Spirit. He said, it is ever the Holy Spirit's work to turn our eyes away from self into Jesus. But, but Satan's work is just the opposite. For he is constantly trying to make us regard ourselves instead of Christ. Satan insinuates, your, your sins are too great for pardon. Or you have no faith. You don't repent enough. You will never be able to continue to the end. You have not the joy of his children. You're losing hold, a wavering hold of Jesus. See, all of these thoughts are about self. And we shall never find comfort or assurance by looking within. But the Holy Spirit, he turns our eyes entirely away from self. And he tells us that although we are nothing, Christ is all in all. See, our temptation, our natural tendency is to want to work for our salvation, to work for the Lord's approval and acceptance. But the work of the second helper is to, to take the work of the first helper and magnify it in our lives. See, we couldn't earn our, our salvation. We couldn't earn our way, but it was only through Jesus' death on the cross that we have forgiveness of sins. We'll never be good enough. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Uh, but the, the first advocate, Jesus, he stepped in in our place and he took our sins upon himself and he took them to the grave and then he defeated them by rising to life again. So the, the second helper, he, he comforts us and assures us of our salvation, but it's only because the first helper, Jesus, purchased our salvation for us in the first place. The, the second helper, he advocates for us on our behalf uh, only because the, the first helper, Jesus, is now seated at the right hand of God, interceding for us as the first advocate. See, the Holy Spirit's whole purpose, and if you hear nothing else today, learn this about the Holy Spirit. His mission, his purpose, his joy in, in life is to magnify and glorify Christ in our hearts. And so what, what does that mean for us? Well, Jesus, Jesus tells us what that means in verse 27. This is one of the, the results, one of the things that we can hold on to. Jesus says in verse 27, after describing that the Holy Spirit is our helper and, and how he does that, he says that peace I will leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. So let not your hearts be troubled and neither let them be afraid. See, Jesus was getting ready to leave physically, but he wasn't going to leave them. He wasn't leaving his disciples. No, he was simply just giving them another helper, the Holy Spirit, who would be with them forever. And as a result, they could have a peace and, and not a peace like the world. I love that, that, that Jesus says that because the world uh, sees peace as just an absence of, of conflict and strife. No, we, we know that that's not uh, how peace comes about, but the peace is the peace of Christ. The peace of Christ, knowing that our sins are forgiven, that our life is hidden with Christ, and that nothing can separate us now from the love of Christ. Uh, look with me just uh, in your minds at the disciples, okay? They're an example of what happened here. I alluded to this before, but you know, the disciples, they seem so incompetent in the gospels, right? They never seem to get it. They always ask the wrong questions. They always kind of stumble through. And I don't know if you've ever thought this. I've always thought this, you know, how, how did these group of men, how did they go from this type of person to being the heroes of the faith, taking to the gospel to the ends of the world, uh, exploding the church? 
starting, uh, or what Jesus finished. How did they do this? Well, it's through the work of the Spirit. See, Peter went from denying Jesus three times to being the rock on which the whole church was built. Thomas went from doubting Jesus to risking his life as a missionary to take the gospel to the ends of the modern world. They were persecuted. They were beaten. Many of them were were martyred for their faith. But through it all, they never wavered. Uh, They never gave up hope. They never uh, feared because they knew that Jesus was with them through the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, we never experienced a moment of the Christian life alone. Jesus said on other occasions, I will be with you always to the end of the age. How is this possible? It's possible by the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, pointing us back to Jesus. This doesn't mean we don't face trials. This doesn't mean we don't have pain and suffering or persecution in the world. The the Bible never denies the reality of, of deep loss or trauma. But instead, it promises us something in the midst of loss, something in the midst of trials, something more precious than anything this world has to offer. It promises us the presence and love of God with us in every step by the the dwelling of the Holy Spirit within us. So church, if if you want to live a life like the, the disciples ended up living, doing amazing things for the Lord, living boldly in their faith, If you want to have a life of peace, the peace of Christ dwelling within you, free of of fear and anxiety, then surrender your life to Christ and allow the Holy Spirit who will dwell within you to uh, teach you through the gospel, teach you the things of Christ and remind you that you are a son and daughter. He will comfort you. He will advocate for you and he will help you in all things. This is the promise and the joy that we have as believers in Christ through the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. God, what a a gift that you have given us through the Holy Spirit. Lord, that that we can have access to you, to the Son as well, through his uh, indwelling in our hearts. God, I admit so often I I don't think about the Holy Spirit or or ask uh, the Holy Spirit uh, to, to work in my life but nonetheless, he is working. And so God, I would just pray that you would make us more aware of the ways that he's working and pointing us back to Christ. Because what we need, Lord, is to behold Christ as more excellent and beautiful than anything this world has to offer. This world can try to offer us peace. This world can try to offer us assurance or hope for the future, but all of those will fall short. But we as believers in Christ have a hope that never fails. And it's only through Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. And so, Lord, uh, you alone know the the hearts of each person here. You alone know what's going on uh, in their lives, what kind of burdens they're carrying. But I I pray that the peace of Christ would dwell in their hearts through the gift of the Holy Spirit, and that we'd be reminded of the love that we have through Christ. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.